Babble, Bullshit, and Beyond, a podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris, bringing you a standard's perspective of the film industry and an immigrant's perspective on America. The most fluffy, fun, pop bullshit you can tune into. So many times it happens I have the pleasure of interviewing Jackie Kalin. She is probably the most popular and successful female boxing manager, so much so that Paramount Pictures produced a film based on her life story, and she was portrayed by the talented Meg Ryan. Today, she is phoning in from her Michigan home. Hi, Jackie. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. So, Jackie, I've been following you on social media. You've been very busy managing these young boxers. Tell me about the film Against the Ropes, which was a biopic of your life starring Meg Ryan. How did this come about? Well, I didn't write a... I mean, I never thought about it, so I had nothing. Someone contacted me, um, a producer, an, an independent producer. He had read a story about me in the Wall Street Journal, and he said, wow, I think this would be a great movie. This woman who's married with children and juggling her career... And, you know, with her home life and she has boys the same age as these fighters. And is there jealousy? Is there conflict? How does her husband feel? And blah, blah, blah. So he flew me to L.A. and we shopped it around to different studios and it was picked up at Sony. And uh, that's where it was going to be made. But the producer there moved to another studio. The film got put in turnaround and it kind of just sat there for a while. And then a few years later, um they said, come on, let's let's do another go around. We took it around again and it got picked up by Paramount. And uh, the producer there, David Madden, was amazing. He got it. He loved the story. And he had a partner named Robert Court. And when David, right in the middle of pre-production, David was offered a great job at Fox. He left and it fell in the lap of his partner, Robert Court, who saw the story completely different. He got rid of the husband, got rid of the children, made me a single woman, uh, put me in Cleveland instead of Detroit. He totally bastardized my whole life and my whole story. Um, there was nothing I could do because I had already optioned my rights. Um, it, it just it was very disappointing because my real life story was more like Blindside with Sandra Bullock. And it would have been such an amazing, wonderful, I think, terrific movie had it been told as it was. But by the time they diluted it and changed it and watered down all the, the poignant parts of my life, it was just this very bland B-movie that was probably not one of Meg's best and certainly um, not what I had expected. So they didn't have you on as a creative consultant or anything? Well, you know, they say you're a consultant, and they'll ask you little details about the boxing things and this and that. When it comes right down to it, I really had no choice. I had no choice in who played me. I had very little choice in anything about it, really. And uh, Meg didn't even want me on the set during the filming of it. She just didn't want me there. And I showed up the last couple days, and she wouldn't even meet my kids, meet my family. Um, it, it was just overall, you know, it wasn't the greatest experience, but I learned from it and it gave me some notoriety that opened other doors. And I tend to look at everything as a positive experience. There's something to be taken out of everything. But um, if I had it to do over again, I kind of wish we would have gone with somebody else. But 
what is is and and I've moved on a long time ago. Well, when things finished between me and Nikki, baby, I had to remind myself to take the good with the bad. Did the film have anything to do with your book, Hit Me With Your Best Shot, or is that different? Oh, yeah. They have nothing to do with each other. Hit Me With Your Best Shot is a self-help book. It's about how to live your life as if it was a fight and how to get the right people in your corner and how to watch out for low blows and using all the boxing metaphors as a way to live your life. So that had nothing to do with it. And then my, my bio which is called Between the Ropes, was written after the movie. And that explains the real story and how disappointed I was with the way Hollywood, you know, twisted and turned my actual life. So one was written before, one was written after, but neither one has anything to do with the actual movie. Well, you want people to know the real story after being bastardized by the film. Where can people find the book? Oh, it's on Amazon.com. It's just been out a couple of years. And, and, you know... Writing the book was so cathartic for me. I needed to just put it out there because when the movie came out, I was, I felt raped. You know, you feel violated. My poor kids are sitting there and watching this, this fictionalized story, which they lived with me. They lived every second of it. And yet they aren't even acknowledged in the film. And it was just, it was a tough time in a lot of ways, you know, um, just, it just wasn't as great an experience as it could have been. but you know, life has ups and downs. It was a little bump in the road. It was good in many ways, not so good in other ways. But that was so long ago that, you know, I don't even really think about it much. Was it difficult to write the book knowing you needed to clear up the injustices that were perhaps made in the film? I just sit at the computer and I just write. I love to write. So being a journalist, writing is my number one love. So for me, that was just a labor of pure passion to sit down and be able to tell my story my way from beginning to end and relive a lot of wonderful moments because my life has been an absolutely incredible journey. I mean, I've met presidents and the biggest actors and singers and, and politicians and everybody that you could imagine that you'd want to meet in a lifetime from Elvis to Frank Sinatra to president Clinton to you name it. So my life has been so full and I've traveled so much, you know. I've had dim sum in, in, in Hong Kong, and I've had sushi in, in Tokyo, and I've traveled Canada from Vancouver to Montreal and everywhere in between. And I've seen more than half of the states here in the U.S. And I just think that my life has been so full that putting it into a book was just so much fun for me because I remembered things that I don't normally think about on a day-to-day basis. But when you're putting it all down, a lot of it comes back to you. One memory will trigger another memory. Sounds like a natural way to write your memoirs. What was publishing a book like? Did you get an advance? Both times that I wrote a book, I had publishers in advance that I got an advance to write it. The first book was St. Martin's Press. And then I had it brought out again in paperback seven years later. And this book was Bush Publishing, and this came out, you know, a couple years ago. And, you know, I've just been very blessed every step of the way. You know, I've always had people, you know, that have had my back and have been supportive, that maybe shared the same vision I had and were able to help make things happen for me. And I hope to pay it forward and try to do the same for other people. Of course. And I'm going to have a book written at some point. I make notes for it whenever I can, slowly adding things here and there. 
do you do uh, write it yourself? Do you sit and write it, or do you talk it into a microphone and then transcribe it later? I'm probably going to get a ghostwriter, and uh, I'm not using a tape recorder at this time. Well, you know, have somebody kind of interview you and ask you questions, and the answers become the body of the book because someone else can bring out things that you may not think to say. But if someone prods you, it becomes an answer, and that answer becomes your book. Exactly. Me and one of my tech boys have been sitting down to talk about my cage wage years, and that's been the basis of the book so far. That's good, though, as long as it's working. I think it works for now. But enough about that. You did a reality show a while back called The Contender. <gasps> the Contender. That was so much fun. First of all, I've been a Sylvester Stallone fan since the first time I saw the first Rocky. Actually, I saw him before that in, um, what was that movie that he did about um, all the guys on the uh, Lords of Flatbush? That was a movie he did prior to that. And I just thought he was so cute and just such a, there was something about the personality of this strong, tough guy, but he was so sweet with Adrian. Oh my God, the way he treated her and her little pet store and him coming by there and calling his little turtles Cuff and Lincoln. Oh, my God. I just fell in love with that character. So to actually know him and then be able to do a TV show with him was 20 years, was it 20? 30 years after I first met him, to be able to actually be doing a TV show together was just great because I already knew him, his brother, his mother, his sister. I knew his whole family by then. And we shared the same dressing room. So we were together every day for two months. Same hairdresser, same makeup people. And it was just a dream come true because I love him dearly. He is, he's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. And Sugar Ray Leonard was on the show as well. And we just had the best time because I knew them. I knew them both for so many years that it was just like um, a reunion. It was just like friends getting together every day. And wasn't Frank Stallone in it as well? I love Frank. I love Frank too. Yeah, I had met Frank many years ago when I was working at a restaurant on Sunset Plaza. And he was such a gentle giant. Great guy. They both are. They're so sweet. They're both so Italian, handsome, uh, buff guys. I mean, 165, 170. And they just, they're, they're just good looking guys. And they're both just in my opinion, the nicest two guys ever. I've been blessed to have them as friends. So how cool is that to say that Rocky Balboa is your buddy? Oh, you betcha. You bet. To say Rocky's your buddy, I love him. Yeah, love him. So Jackie, in a primarily male-dominated business, you must have been one of the first and only female managers in boxing. You know, to my knowledge, there may have been a few women that I don't know about that, you know, dabbled in boxing before me, but to have had as many world champions as I've had and to be as involved in the sport. I was a publicist. I was a boxing writer. I've been a promoter, a manager. I've been involved. I work the corners. I'm, I'm pretty much involved in every aspect of the sport. I'm going on my 39th year in boxing. So it's been a very long road. And a lot of the fighters I started out with are close to 60 now. So they have all you know, certainly run the gamut of their careers. And some of their sons are, are fighting now. And it's just, it's been a very wonderful, wonderful turn of events that I found myself in this crazy man's world. And 
to have gotten the acceptance that I did, not that it was overnight, it certainly took a long time, but it's it's been a very fulfilling career because I was able to break down some doors for other women and I get so many emails and so many Facebooks, you know, texts and all kinds of, you know, letters from other young girls that want to get into the sport of boxing, either as a writer, a broadcaster, a manager, whatever. And they are able to use me as a mentor. And I didn't have anybody that I could go to because there were no other women in the sport. So that's the good part, that I've survived all these years and I can help some other women. I don't know how you do it. I mean, where does all this time go? I know. Is that crazy? My older son is going to be 50 in three years. And I think I was just 50. You know, how did it go so fast? But when you're having a good time and you're enjoying your life, it just kind of flies by in a happy, wonderful, fast-paced, train-on-the-tracks-going-smooth kind of a way. So you have two married sons, and how many grandchildren do you have, Jackie? I have five of them. I have five of them. And you know what's so unique about each and every one of them? It's like in every family, you know, you get a combination of kids, but each one of them has something of me in them, and that's what's so, to me, so wonderfully special. My older one... He's going to be 20. He's in his going into his uh, junior year of college, and he's a finance major, and he's going to be working for Merrill Lynch this summer. And he's a brilliant kid, you know, just a, a very, very smart boy, but he's kind. He, he kind of has my, my compassion and need to do things for other people, and I love that about him. And then the next one's going to be 16, He's in high school, and he's like an all-star hockey player, great athlete, but he is spunky. He's the feisty one of the five. He's always looking for new adventures, always wants to try something new, and I think he kind of got that adventure kind of attitude from his grandma. And then there's the seven-year-old Jenna, and she's a writer. She writes books and illustrates them. She's already had one book published at seven, and she gets that, I think, a lot from me. And then the three-year-old twins are boy and girl twins, and they're beautiful, talented. One's a drummer. The little boy's an unbelievable drummer. For three years old, he's like hits those drums like Ringo Starr. And then the little girl's a dancer. She's already in ballet. So they're all so diverse, and they're beautiful. And, you know, life goes on. Your legacy continues through your offspring. And, you know, I'm very blessed Sounds busy. Sounds like fun, Jackie. It really is. And I have the best of both. I go back and forth and that works for me. You know, when I need my fix, I get on a plane and I'm in LA. So I go back and forth quite a bit. And yet this is where I was raised. I have so many lifetime friends from back in kindergarten days. You know, I've managed to keep all the friends I had through elementary school, high school, college. They're still a big part of my life. So I think that's a testament to them and me and just the, the strength of good friendships. Let me ask you about your health, Jackie. You had some issues recently, including a stent placed in your arteries. Would you elaborate on that a little bit? Actually, most of my health issues came after my divorce. So I don't know if uh, the stress caused it or not. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of it's just what you get what you get. But I had two lumpectomies the year after my divorce. And... Uh, since then, I've had three heart stents. I have glaucoma. I'm actually legally blind in my right eye. I have osteoporosis, and I take uh, injections for that, you know, like uh, once a year. And uh, I have ulcers, which comes from 
taking an aspirin every day and blood thinners for the heart problems eats away the stomach lining. So you take something for that. And at the end of the day, it all evens out. So overall, I'm a happy, happy girl. And everything that I have is controllable. Uh, I had melanoma two years ago, and they removed that and did a skin graft. And that's beautiful. Hardly a scar at all, very small. And life goes on. And I'm just so grateful. The things that I've been given to deal with have all been very manageable. And so I'm grateful. Tell me about the Stanley Stent scenario. Where is it now at this point? Stanley Stent? Stanley was my first stent. And he was great for about nine years. And then he kind of clogged up again. So Stanley uh, was joined by two new stents who have no names. Uh, they're just sort of there. And the three of them coexist very nicely. And they keep me breathing and happy and blood flowing. And they're all just a part of me. So Jackie, after all of these health problems, you still look fantastic. And at 70 plus, you're still this hotshot little rock star. Can I ask you a personal question? Have you ever had any plastic surgery? And if so, could you shed a little light on us, please? Oh, yeah. I, I have absolutely no problem discussing it. When I was 20, I think 23, I had a rhinoplasty. I had my nose done. And uh, when I was 48, I had my eyes done, my upper and lower eyes. And now every once in a while, I get a little restle in here and there and a little Botox here and just fill it all in and plump out those lines and keep on keeping on. I'm, and I get a lot of facials. I'm really big on facials. I steam and I use my facial brush and I use my microdermabrasion. And I, a great thing I do, you'd love it. Let me tell you, it's so simple. I put my head over the sink and turn the hot water on so get the steam going. Then I cut a lemon in half and I squeeze the lemon on my face and let it dry and it'll tingle. Then when it dries, I take an egg white. And I take it on my fingers and I put it all over my face and I let it dry. And the egg white tightens everything up. Then I take a cold wash cloth, wash it all off, put on moisturizer, and your skin's like a baby. Who inspired you to get into this business? Did you grow up with any male role models? Well, you know, I think it came naturally to me. I never had a sister. I grew up with a brother. And so I was always kind of used to being around a male persona. And then, of course, my dad was one of three, so there were my uncles all the time. My cousins were mostly male. Then when I got married, my husband was one of four brothers. And then when I had children, I had two sons. So I've always been surrounded by a lot of testosterone. So even though I was a girly girl that likes her nails and her hair and pretty clothes, I still had that other side of my personality, which was very masculine, and I was able to tap into both. So for me, it wasn't such a stretch. If I had been brought up with all sisters in a girly girl household, it would have seemed very difficult to be in a locker room with guys dropping their towels saying, hey, look at my dick. But for me, it was like, you know, I got a brother at home. You're not showing me anything I haven't seen. Let's get down to business. So. You know, I was able to navigate those waters pretty effortlessly. During this time while you were managing these studies, did you not have a little twinkle in your eye for some of these body boys to maybe work it or twerk it and slash it and dash it with a fling? You know what? That's a very common question. No problem asking it because everybody asks that. And 
you know, it's kind of interesting. At my 70th birthday, Tommy Hearns, Hitman Hearns, who was the first fighter I ever worked with, he stood up and gave a wonderful little speech and a toast to me. And he said, you know, when we first started working together, everybody thought Jackie and I were, you know, an item. He said, and I only used to wish it was true because she was so pretty. He said, but she was always all business. And I think that's why she's lasted all these years and why we all still love her so much. She's everybody's best friend, big sister and mom. So to answer your question, my choice was always to look to the future and not to ever have to be able to look back and have regrets. So it was just easier to to be friends with these guys and to bring them into the fold and be able to include them in my family life. So I don't have any um, regrets and I don't, I can't look back and say, oh, I can't see this guy because, you know, we used to have a thing going. So, you know, for me, it was a business and uh, I'm just grateful that it turned out that way. Also at my birthday party, Tarek Salmasi, who was one of my fighters, who was also on the contender with me, and uh, Bronco McCart, one of my world champions. All my fighters still send me Mother's Day cards and birthday cards. So I'm glad that I chose not to go that path. Jackie, you did it the right way. I mean, it's very admirable, but it's very professional of you. I did the same thing when I was in the cage wage world. I mean, 10 years I lasted, and you've been around about a 1,000 years, and you're still on top of your game. That's the right way to go. You thought long-term, you did it long-term, you succeeded long-term. I felt like I was kind of on that same path. That's correct, For and I was looking for longevity. And I think that if a young girl, and there, there have been some girls that have come into this sport, because their boyfriend or the guy they were seeing was a boxer and then they'd break up and then they'd get involved with a different fighter and it doesn't really work. You're either their manager or you're their girlfriend and it would be pretty hard to do both. Some women have done it, but for me it was just easier to, to be their manager and that's why I'm still doing it. I just turned a new kid pro and his name is McQuan Williams and he's from Connecticut. We call him Mikey and, and Mikey's a, a five-time national amateur champion. And if he stays on the right path that I have laid out for him, he'll be a world champion. And, you know, to be my first champion in my 70s is going to be exciting because hopefully I'll do the same in my 80s. I have no plan to slow down, none. You know, I intend to work and stay busy um, until I can't. Good for you, Jackie. So you, now you're into 70 and beyond. I mean, you're in the uh, world of Streisand and Goldie Hawn and all you hot little mamas. And uh, where are you at at this point? Well, right now, Mikey's my main concern in, in the boxing arena. But I'm also promoting with a wonderful guy named Steve Orozco. We have a company called Smash Global. And we promote cage fighting events like the UFC, and we do these black tie events where you come dressed like you're going to the Oscars, have a fabulous dinner, silent auction. Uh, we have a different honoree for every event, and then we have the fights. And it's just a wonderful night. So I'm doing those, so that keeps me busy. And my life is glorious. I mean, what can you say? When you love what you're doing, you never feel like you're working. And every day is a new challenge. And, you know, I am grateful that I'm still able to do all the things that I do. And as for a new book, I have one that I've got outlined right now. And uh, it's a kind of a still going strong kind of a book. And it's about, you know, how you can get older without getting old. 
And it's just really a, a kind of a, a guide to the senior years and making them as much fun as the first and second third of your life, because it's really the it's the third trimester of a lifetime. And, you know, and then you go on to the next place, wherever that is. But each trimester, if you break it down into 30, 30, 30, and that's about the average lifespan, each one can be so special in its own way. And, you know, I'm done being pregnant, having babies, raising children, carpooling, giving weddings. All that's done. I did it all. Now I'm enjoying the last part of my life, which is enjoying the fruits of all that and still having my mind working pretty good. I can take on a lot of other challenges. So, you know, I'm about as happy as a person can get without being high. Being high is not an option. I mean, being drunk, fucked up, on pills. I mean, we hear about it in Hollywood all day long. We've seen it. We've witnessed a lot of people on that uh, level. And we probably worked with uh, people who were not in a very clear state of mind. And I'm proud of you that you were never into that. As you know, I was never into it. I think that's our key to our success. Uh, getting older is a process. There's uh, no way around it. We're going to keep getting older, but you're doing great into your 70s now. And I have the same aspirations. I mean, I want to continue. I'm on my fourth career now, starting these blogs. We're going to start vlogs in late springtime. Got the podcasts going at this point. We've got at least a dozen recruited by now. And they'll be uh, released by probably late spring into the summer. I've had, you know, a few other careers prior to this. Of course, working with uh, Cage Wage. That lasted 10 years of doing 20 films with him. And I feel like life is exciting. As long as you can do it in a very healthy state of mind, then we should go on. You know what? There is options in life, you know, and you like I said, you can get older and you can get old if you want to. You know, you can say I'm tired. I've worked my whole life. Now I want to just sit and play canasta or maj or go to lunch with the girls. And you're entitled to that. After all the years of doing everything that we do to raise families, I think women are entitled to that. I just don't really want to do that. It's not that I'm not entitled to it. That to me isn't fun. You know, to me, flying to Connecticut for a press conference for my new fighter, that was fun. To me, to get on a plane and go to Palm Springs, that's fun. I don't want to just sit home and, and enjoy being 70. I feel that there's still so much that I can do and want to do. And everybody gets hit with age. It's going to hit me. At some point, I'm realistic enough to know. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but at some point I'm going to slow down. And when it happens naturally, okay, but it won't be by my choice ever. Well, Jackie, how do you do this? Uh, are you doing this by yourself or do you have an entire production staff? I mean, you must have people who are doing your editing and, and you, you probably have a couple of assistants. We have a whole staff. We really need a whole staff. We have lighting and sound people and we have people that set up the cage and then we have people that do... We have a publicist that handles all the media. And then we have people that handle the silent auction. And we have a whole staff of people to make each event as great as it can be because you can't do it all alone. And I learned a long time ago that when I try to do everything myself, something's going to get neglected. So I've learned to say, hey, who's the best person to do this and to do this and let it go? You know, oversee it. But let it go. There's people who can do it better than you, so let them and pay them for it. 
I agree, Jackie. I mean, it's exactly what I do here as well. I mean, I'm, I'm technically uh, defective. I would call myself a technophobe. So I have two tech monkeys over here who take care of most stuff, including social media and the Twitter and the Twatter and the Teeter and the Totter. And they do the editing and recordings and everything else. And I just kind of like babble in my bullshit mode and then just cut, a, cut around and make me sound a little intelligent, though it's kind of hard for me to get to that point. And uh, they're great hired help. That's where I use my money. I still have the guy in New York City, and uh, he has set up that website along with the rents, and uh, he uploads everything and then downloads it after he edits them. And uh, again, trying to make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. But uh, that's kind of like where I'm using my money these days. It's more on enhancing my new career versus uh, buying fluffy fun stuff and fancy cars. I agree, even now at this age. Um, I used to have at one time two Ferraris. I had fur coats and diamonds. And in the 80s and 90s, I was just living the high life. And now I don't need all that anymore. I really don't. You know, I gave most of my nice things to my daughters-in-law. And I just really feel that the simple things are good. As long as I have clothes to wear and a car to drive, I'm very happy. And uh, that enables me to do other things with my money and give it to charities buy things for my grandkids, take trips. You know, your priorities change. I agree, Jackie. Of course, priorities change as you get older. Once I hit my 50s, I mean, 50 was a big year for me like anybody else. I uh, went to New York for a few months and I celebrated it um, just without working. and just kind of, I rented a little condo. I thought, this is great. I've got to come back here and spend a few years here. And I couldn't figure out how to do it. But uh, lo and behold, I came back, sold a couple of properties. And I decided that I was going to spend two to three years in New York City by Central Park to see plays and uh, ballets and uh, operas and museums and up and down the streets of Madison Avenue and Central Park and bike rides. And uh, I feel more energized now than ever before. And I want to use what I have made for different reasons to better myself and enjoy life more. And having said that, enjoying life more, Jackie, where are you at in terms of a relationship? You're going to love this. I know you will. I've been living for 16 years with this wonderful Italian stallion from New York who's 15 years younger than me, and I'm going to keep him as long as he can keep up with me. I'm going to keep him around. Why not? I mean, it's that whole young, dumb and full of cum kind of routine. I I agree wholeheartedly. Um, That's what I do, too. I mean, anything above 30, I don't know. they They can't keep up with me either. I'm telling you, I realized a long time ago that most of the guys my age are a little bit more um, sedate and they've worked hard their whole lives and now they want to play golf and, you know, watch TV and that's great. But I needed a little boy toy to kind of run around with me. And you know what? It keeps you young too because he keeps up with me. I keep up with him and, you know, together we have a lot of fun. Sounds like a great relationship, Jackie. Is marriage in the works at all after 16 years, or do you think that, uh, you know, may damper things and change things? You know, I was married once. I don't really feel a need to do it again. I have my children, and I think it works so well this way because we're together because we want to, not because we're obligated to be, and it just seems to be a good formula for us. Sounds like a great relationship, Jackie. I'm very happy for you. So uh, this is going to conclude our podcast. I'm going to let you go back to your boy toy, and I'm going to go back to mine. And uh, we will resume a conversation uh, outside of the microphone. Thank you, guys. No, thank you. I love talking to you, Jackie. I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Oh, good. Love it. 
Thank you for the updates. It was just wonderful. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye, honey. Bye. That concludes our podcast with Jackie Kalen, America's first and foremost female boxing manager. You can grab a copy of her book, Between the Ropes, at Amazon.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, this is Marco Kiris signing off.